Welcome to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today I have a very special guest, Miss Lynette Chaparro, who is here to talk to us about admissions. Lynette, welcome. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Lynette and I work together every day. We're in the same office, but why don't you tell everybody what your title is, how long you've been at the vet school, how did you start doing this? Okay. Um, my title is I'm the Associate Director for Admissions, and I've been working in admissions for the past 13 years. Um, I've done a little bit in the office. I have um, worked as a private advisor for a little while, but um, in the last nine years, it's going to be solely, has been solely admissions. And I thought it'd be fun to have Lynette come on here because we have so many students thinking different things about admissions that are often wrong. So we decided we are going to bust 10 admissions myths today, right? Absolutely, yes. We want you guys to feel more comfortable when you're applying. We want you to feel confident. We want you to feel like you understand the process because if you if they haven't worked in admissions, Lynette, they don't know what's going on. There's a lot behind the scenes. That is correct. It takes um, the application cycle takes, takes at least nine months and the whole process almost a year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So briefly, we'll talk about that. VEMCAST is the application portal. Correct. Students can go on there starting in January now to work on their application. What do you think about that? I think it's a great move on VEMCAS. Um, having the application open up in January, it's not going to be the full application. It's students are going to be, or applicants, are going to be able to um, get uh, transcripts. They will be able to get letters of reference. So it's a start. It's giving them some months while they're still in school to get all part of the paperwork together. Yeah, so if you really want to get a jump start and start to get organized, it's a great opportunity. Typically, it used to open up in May. So now it's going to start opening parts of the portals in January, but mm -hmm. it's going to close in September. Correct. And then you mentioned that they're going to wait. So we don't start doing our interviews until that next January or February. So they end up waiting for a long time. That is correct. They will be waiting over a year. I think that's honestly the hardest part for the students is, mm -hmm. is that long wait. So that's a good time for you to start your yoga meditation and your practices to start feeling more calm and comfortable. So if you have more questions specifically about our admissions process, you're going to contact us directly. But right now, Lynette and I will bust some myths for you guys so you can feel more confident applying to the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Now, I just want to remind everybody, the myths we're going to bust are only in our office. So if you are curious about applying to other schools, make sure you contact them. But we're going to try to demystify a few things. So the first thing we're going to demystify while we're talking about the application cycle is, Lynette, students think that if they turn their application in early, they have a better shot of getting into vet school. Can you talk about that? Okay, you will not get any preferential treatment if you submit your application early. What happens is that we'll have more time to complete your application um, instead of waiting on until the end where there's a lot of applicants submitting their application. So it's just a matter of having everything, having your I's and your T's crossed 
um, before the deadline. Yeah. So what happens is the application opens, the cycle opens. If you turn yours in early, let's say you turn yours in in May, our office will see that it's available to us to check. And if we have time, we can check it and let you know, hey, we have everything. You're good to go. But if a student waits until September, the September deadline, we're going to do the exact same thing. I think the biggest benefit would be if something was missing, we can tell that student even earlier. You can feel comfortable knowing that it's in, but you are not more likely to get an interview or get into vet school by turning your application in early. That is correct. And we know one of the problems that students are sometimes that we may avoid if you turn in your application early is if you're missing a transcript. That way there's plenty of time because the transcript cannot come directly to us. It has to come through VAMCA. So there's extra time to correct any, any to, to fulfill anything that's missing. That's myth number one. Okay, let's move on to myth number two. I've often heard students say, Lynette, that they look at our statistics page and they see so many students have biology degrees or animal science degrees And they say, well, do you only take a certain number from each major? That is completely false. Uh, It does not matter what you major in in college in order for us to look at your application. What you, it doesn't matter if you major in history, Mm -hmm. in any field, as long as you complete all the prereqs uh, listed on our website with a letter grade of C or better. Right. So two things are happening here. I think students feel like our admissions committee members look at the entire pool at one time and they might think, okay, well, there are 100 good looking biology applicants. We don't want any more. Let's keep going. But that's not how it works. No, they're looking at they're looking at the packets individually, Mm -hmm. not as a group. Mm -hmm. So that should make students feel a lot better. You're not getting compared to this entire pool. You're getting looked at one by one, which is part of the holistic admissions process. Exactly. And somebody that has major in art has a lot of good qualities that are, you know, makes you a whole applicant. And that's what the admissions committee is going to look at. You have to meet the prereqs, but aside from that, whatever you major in, you know, it's going to make you a unique applicant. Exactly. And that's the second thing I wanted to touch on is sometimes students come into my office and they say, oh, if I major in art or history, does that make me more competitive? And I like to tell them, well, you're going to be a little bit more diverse because it's an underrepresented major. But that by itself is not what's going to put you over the edge unless you're writing some really strong essays talking about why those skills matter. Just having it on paper doesn't do anything for you. So you need to take a major you like, excel in those classes, and then hope that the admissions committee sees that in your packet. doesn't matter who you know. Students are always telling me, oh, Alex, I got a letter of rec from the head veterinarian. Or, oh, 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 this person who's writing me a letter went to UF. Talk about that, Lynette. Okay. Um, The admissions committee is comprised of a lot of individuals. They are, um, you know, uh, local practitioners, practitioners from Miami, from Central Florida, from South Florida. It's just from different places. So, Um, So it really doesn't matter who you know. Sometimes students say, oh, I know this uh, governor. And my first response is, well, how well do they know you? Are they going to write you a long letter? Do they know you very well? Is it going to be supportive? So please don't worry about the name. 
worry about the content and the relationship you have with that person. That's such a great point, Alex, because one of the things is that, you know, we tell the students is when you are looking for a reference, make sure that they are comfortable writing that reference letter for you, to you and that they know you for a good, 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 solid time. Um, having a letter of, of reference from, uh, for example, let's say a professor that has known you for six months or that you took a class and you got an A is not a strong reference as somebody that has known you for a year or longer that you've worked for or that you've done research with. Exactly. So you want those really strong, strong relationships. Someone who, if you're walking down the street, they should know your name, they should know a little bit about you, and they should want to have lunch with you. Somebody you're close Correct. with. Okay, so now let's talk about the rumor that it's harder to get into vet school than it is to get into med school. Okay. Where are people coming from with that? I believe that people... Um, look at the amount of uh, applications that we get and the amount of seats that are actually uh, fulfilled. And when they compare that to like, for example, a med school, you know, there's no comparison. What people haven't realized is that there's a whole lot more med schools than veterinary schools. So when you look at the numbers, at the end, it's almost the same. There's only 30 vet schools, and there are many, many more med, med schools. Absolutely. So that's what where people are coming from. Okay, so we've heard students say, oh, I applied to vet school and I didn't get in, does it look bad? Should I maybe not apply because I'm not super competitive right now? Um, once I apply, I'm basically done. What would we tell that student? Okay, first of all, first thing that we will tell them is do not give up. If this is what you want to do, if this is your passion, this is what you want in life, don't give up. There is certain There are certain ways to get into vet school. I mean, sometimes students um, are deferred. Sometimes students take a year off to work. Sometimes they decide, okay, I need to increase my GPA. Let me go ahead and do a master's. So there are ways to um, actually go about to increase your chances. But I think the bottom line is once you apply and you're rejected, meet with the private advisor. Meet with a counselor that's going to be able to review your application and give you points or give you um, ideas of how you can improve. Agreed. It's totally normal to apply more than one time. When you think about the numbers right now, we had 1,372 applicants last cycle for 120 seats. It's quite common to need to apply more than one time. Correct. So please don't feel, I mean, of course, it's going to be disheartening. It's okay to be upset and frustrated and discouraged, but we love to see a repeat applicant. That shows perseverance. And I want to mention something about repeat applicants. We tag the repeat applicants. So any applicant that applies a second time, we're going to be looking at their previous application and see if they have done anything different. Right. So we get to compare to Correct. see how much you've grown. Correct. Okay. We just busted five myths. Let's go for five more. I've heard students come in and tell me all kinds of numbers about what UF needs to have a minimum GPA to get seen and get accepted. Lynette, will you explain our goal for a holistic admissions process and what that means for GPA? Okay. So this year we have reviewed, well, we have the admissions committee review 80% of all the applications. So that means there's going to be a range of GPAs. There'll be the 4.0s along with the 3.0s and perhaps a, a couple of 2.9s. So we're looking at everybody. 
Um, and then um, and when we say holistic, that means that GPAs are going to be important, but the other part is going to be the experience and the letters of reference. Mm -hmm. So including all those three components, that's what we're going to be ranking the students and then offering them um, a position or an interview offer. Now, I will remind students, our current average for GPAs is about a 3.5, 3.6. So you do want to shoot for the average. That's going to help you be a little bit more competitive, especially my out-of-state students. You want to make sure that you are improving your GPA every step of the way. But like Lynette said, we look at a wide range of GPAs. So picture if there are 10 people in a room, we're going to look at the top eight GPAs that are in there for that first round. That's 80%. So as long as you make that mark, you're going to, you're going to get seen by the admissions committee. Correct. This is my favorite myth to bust, number seven the diversity myth. I get a lot of, and I'm going to be frank with you guys, I get a lot of white female students in my office who say to me, I don't think I'm going to get in because I'm not diverse. Mm -hmm. What would we tell them, Lynette? Okay, first of all, everybody has, it's diverse. There's in why way, one way or another, you're going to have diversity in your life. It may not be your color. It may not be your ethnicity or your background. It can be your experience. It can be um, life experiences that you have had that has make you unique. Um, sometimes traveling, a person that has traveled, I mean, they, are, have a, they have accumulated an array of experiences. And sometimes by seeing or being part of somebody else's experience also uh, provides diversity. So there's, I mean, everybody has, it's diverse. So you need just to think about your own situation. And if you, again, if you've traveled, if you have worked and seen things in your work that has made an impact in you, that is diversity. Oh, Lynn, you just summed it up perfectly. All of those examples should get you guys thinking about how am I diverse? What have I experienced? What have I experienced secondhand, maybe through work or through my family? So there is no more excuse for anyone to come into our offices and say they're not diverse. You are. You just need to expand your view of diversity. Okay, myth eight, quality versus quantity of experience. We have, a, we have some students come in who have years of experience, but maybe it's not the kind of experience we're looking for. What would we say? Okay, um, this is always the toughest question for all of us. Just because people, students will say, well, give me a number. Mm. We don't want to give a number because it's not about the number of hours. It's about the quality of experience. Mm -hmm. So we want, um, For let me just set, set an example. Let's say a student or an applicant has worked as a, in a kennel, you know, as a, as a kennel technician. Technician, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, and they've done that for a year. Um, and then we have another applicant that has worked side by side with a veterinarian for three months mm -hmm. over the summer. Mm -hmm. So when we compare those two experiences, um, actually the experience where the students spend three months working side by side, that's going to be a more valuable experience than the kennel. Not to take away from the kennel technician, but that student should be a kennel technician and then try to find a way to move up. Um, even talk to the veterinarian and say, can I just assist you? Can I be present where you're doing, you know, certain procedures so they can really expand their experience. Yes. Find that mentorship, move forward. 
quality is always going to come over quantity. And then the ultimate goal would be a year alongside a veterinarian. Okay, myth nine. They need to have three letters of recommendation from veterinarians to be a strong competitive applicant. What would we tell that, that is student? Completely false. I mean, if you can get them, great for you. But <laughs> it's really, I mean, the reality is that getting one or two, it's kind of tough. Um, so we want at least one. And then one thing that students forget is that if you work, and this is not, it's and it's not a vet-related uh, work. Um, you can still use that as a, that is a very strong reference. Remember, we're trying to find out um, the work ethic of that student. And it doesn't matter if that work ethic comes from, um, as a tech, it can come as, you know, you work at Publix, Mm -hmm. you work at another store. Customer service. Customer service, exactly. That tells a lot about um, you as a person. So feel free to have a variety of references as long as they know you very well and they are not friends or family. Oh, my God. Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Okay, our 10th myth is going to come from other students that you're listening to. So when the cycles start to close and students are either getting into vet schools or being denied from vet schools. You're going to hear students all over social media, student doctor network in pre-vet clubs saying, I got in because of this, or I didn't get in because of this. And we want to remind students, who do they need to hear from Lynette to know why they did or did not get in? They need to hear from the pre-vet advisor. So if you're applying to UF, make sure you contact Alex. Um, and she can go over the application. She can tell. She can give you pointers. She will tell you what the admissions. If you if your application went through packet review, she will mention what are those comments and give you some really good feedback about that application. Yeah, I, I see so many students posting. Oh, I didn't get into Cornell because of this, or oh, I did get into UC Davis because of this. And unless those students have met with the admissions committee or the actual admissions officers to find out why they did or did not get in, they are assuming why they did or did not get in. That is correct. Be very careful about advice that you hear from other students, especially in those emotional times, right when the cycles are closing and we're starting to hear back about if we got into vet school or not. Be careful. Make sure you've made your phone call so you know the truth about your application and then move forward for the next cycle if that's what you need to do. So Lynette, we just busted 10 myths. Yeah. I think it would be great for us to give them a little bit of advice and encouragement because we are seeing, you know, 1,200 plus students this year who applied to our program who won't get a seat in the vet school. That's correct. What What do we want to tell them? Don't give up. Remember, if this is your dream, you just have to be a little bit patient. Um, reapply again. Sometimes taking a whole year off, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing. Um, taking a year off to build up on your experience, to just earn some money, that is always, you know, it's always a good step to follow. Um, sometimes, you know, getting another degree, it's something that students can do and spend the time and do something that is going to help them. Always have a plan B. But if this is your dream, please make sure that you meet with a private advisor. Uh, find out what you can do to do better in your application. And um, and don't give up. I agree with 
everything that Lynette said. I think almost every student I've ever met with can and will be a veterinarian. It's a question of when and where will they go to vet school. So if you listen to our tips, if you take time to figure out and be realistic about your packet and your application, there are enough opportunities for you to achieve that dream and start working with animals, researchers, and other veterinarians. That's correct. I want to thank Miss Lynette for being here today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Alex, for having me over. Of course. I'm so glad we hopefully busted some myths. And if you need more help from us, you can go on our website at any time. You can contact us and just make sure that you're ready to go for the application cycle that is going to start opening in January and will close in September. Excellent. Yeah, we'll see. Well, hopefully we'll see your application soon. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.